This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, Bob DePasquale. He's a purpose-driven impact maker. He believes that everyone has the ability to make a positive impact in our world. Welcome to the show, Bob. How are you? I'm great, Rich. Pumped up to be here. Love the title of your show, by the way, The Misfit Nation. Um, I think I think it's going to fit well for me. Awesome. Uh, I'm glad uh, we're a good fit. We're, we're not a good fit for everyone, but I'm glad we're a good fit for you. And uh, I'm glad that we're able to connect and get this thing going here to start off this uh, great new year, 2022. Start off on a positive note and and get everyone some good information about you and what you bring to the table. So if you'd like, give us a little background on uh, what brought you to where you are now, where you come from, and how'd you get to where you are now? Sure. Uh, kind of wild ride in my life uh, in a good way. I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't change it for the world. I, I was born in Long Island, New York, moved down to South Florida when I was just a young kid. So I don't remember too much about New York in the 80s, but uh, I went back there for college and I, I know I just skipped 18 years of life, um, but I things were pretty cool. Grew up down here in South Florida playing sports and going to school and just, you know, I had two parents who loved me, uh, loved me dearly. But um, life kind of changed when I was 18. And that's a big part of my story. So I'm glad you asked. I love to share this because I think it's it, it means a lot to me and I, it kind of defines who I am. When I was 18, I, I don't know about you, Rich, but when I, you tell me when you're 18, at least when I was, I kind of felt invincible in my life at that point. I thought I was on top of the world. I was heading off to college. I was playing ball. Uh, I was going to go to school. I was going to learn. Who knows where, where sports would take me? And I thought I was invincible. And uh, I, was, I was in training camp playing football. And I had an injury. I thought I had a groin injury. And I don't know if you've ever pulled your groin muscle, but that has got to be one of the most awkward injuries. Right? You don't realize even what that muscle does. It's just funny to talk about, to be honest with you. And uh, it bothered me for weeks. And I basically missed my entire freshman training camp. And somewhere towards the end, one of my trainers, actually the head trainer of our team said, Bobby, they call me Bobby. He's like, what, he stands up and like, and in college, the training staff is much different than it is in like high school, right? I mean, you got hundred people in the room at five, six in the morning, stretching out, getting treatment to make, make sure they can be on the field. And this guy stands up and says, uh, Bobby, and it somehow it just got quiet, right? Like it was never quiet. It's commotion in the morning. And every, I felt like everyone heard this, the trainer ragging on me, right? And when the trainer calls you a weakling, like that's not a good sign. It's not too good. But he's like, you got to be out on the field. Why are you still doing these stupid exercises? They had me on this three-wheeled stool shimmying across, dodging people like a 20-yard little open area to try to rehab the injury and it wasn't working. So he had a serious meeting with me later. I said, I said, listen, Rick, I'm not getting any better. So he sent me to the doctor. Well, long story short, my parents were coming up for what was supposed to be my first game, but I wasn't obviously playing. And this was a Thursday. And after a series of tests, um, they were coming up on this Thursday. I got out of the doctor and I'm 18 years old by myself in a strange place. The doctor sits me down and look, pulls out sonograms and everything. And he's like, listen, you got cancer. And I was like, what? Like I'm blown away, flabbergasted. And I get out of the doctor's appointment. My parents call me 
And they knew I was in the doctor, but I don't think they were thinking that. They, but my mom was like, oh, hey, we, we landed. Well, we'll see you at your uncle's house because we were meeting at my uncle's house who lived in the area. We'll see you at your uncle's house in about a half hour. And I'm like, they're like, oh, how'd the doctor's appointment go? And I'm like, well, what do you want me to tell you? And I could tell my dad, I was on the phone with my mom. I could tell my dad knew something was wrong on the other side. He's like, Susan, Susan, what's going on? So obviously we went back to my uncle's house and it was a pretty trying time for the family. And, you know, we shed some tears and looked at each other in shock and tried to figure out what we're going to do. And uh, that was a Thursday. Saturday, my uncle's best friend comes over, found out what happened. We never met the guy because, like I said, we live in Florida. They were in New York. And he comes over and says, here, Bob and Susan, my parents, take my car. Can't imagine what you're going through this next week. Take Do whatever you need to do. You got my car as long as you need to take your son to any doctor you could possibly need. Uh, you can have basically have my car. And that was it. He was there 15 minutes, said, listen, got to go. Got some family thing going on. And he left. And my, my uncle was like, yeah, Tim's such a really, really nice guy. So then a couple of days go by. This is a long story, I know, but it's very important because I was in my second college class. My oncologist said, you can't just completely quit school. You got to do something with your, you know, you got to, you're going to need some kind of treatment, but I need you to keep your mind moving. So I came out of my second college class. I'm sitting in the cafeteria and they had one of those, it's not, there's no flat screens really at that point. They had one of those tube TVs, like in the corner that would hang from a, from a rack, you know, and, and I'm looking at the screen there and I, there's a commotion on the news. And I noticed a plane had hit the twin towers and I was like, oh, that's crazy. And, you know, now remember I'm in New York, so it's not too far from me. And I called up my dad and he was at my uncle's house. He's like, Hey, did you see this? And I was like, yeah, I'm watching it right here. And we're talking for like a minute and then bam. The next plane hits the other towers. And my, my dad's like, you probably, you better come back to, to your uncle's house now before, you know, who knows what's going on. So I hopped in the car. It took me nine hours to drive what was normally a 15 minute drive from campus over to my uncle's house, ran out of gas in his neighborhood, we pushed the car into his driveway. Now he was on business in Denver the night before, supposed to fly back to New York. My aunt was hysterical. She was like, I, she didn't know what to do. We could not get a hold of him. You know, cell phones were out. So he, he finally gets a hold of us and we're like, oh, thank God he's okay. Uh, but we found out that his best friend, Tim, was in the towers and perished that day. And so needless to say, the family is okay, but it was a really, really challenging time in my life. So I went from like on top of the world is invincible feeling to feeling like my own life was in jeopardy because of my illness. But then the whole world, or at least New York City and America, was really being threatened at that point. So super, super challenging time. And I share that story because at the time, I thought I was the one who just powered through everything. I ended up getting treated and recovering. And obviously, we, we know that, uh, that the nation will never forget what happened. But I think we, we rebounded about as strong as you can from a, from a terrorist attack like that. And what I found was, though, it took me years to really realize what all happened there and what, what the other forces in my life did for me. Because I thought I just kind of powered through. I was going to be the best cancer patient I could possibly be. I was going to drink every glass of water to the ounce that my oncologist suggested. I was going to sleep to the minute when he told me to go to sleep, exactly what to eat, how many calories, show up for my appointments five minutes early. Like it was just, I was so detail oriented and I thought I could just control everything in life. So you talk about my story. I've learned since then to take a step back and not try to control everything, right? Try to control the things I can control 
and then rely on the other people in my life and my faith and the, and the, the loved ones that surrounding me and the doctors, if it comes to illness and their expertise, um, to, to kind of let go a little bit has been really powerful for me in my personal life. And then also in my business life as, as those things have come up. So you asked, that's a very, very important story. Um, and that was about 18 years ago. So I'm about halfway. Well, I'm a little bit more than halfway now, 20 years ago now. So I've spent just a little bit more than my life post-cancer than I did before. And life has been much, much different since then. Now I'm, uh, um, I'm a still a driven type of person, but I realize that there's other things and other forces that are really strong in life, not just your own will, uh, which is important to notice. That's an incredible story. And like you said, we're all at 18 now, we're, we're all able to run through walls and think that we can do anything it's in front of you. Uh, I used to just laugh when I played ball. I played Paul at uh, St. Peter's College in Jersey City. And I used to just lazily go through the groin stretch because I thought it was the stupidest stretch in the world <laughs> until I pulled my groin. And I was like, oh, now I understand what this thing is all about. But it wasn't as extreme as yours to go from pull groin to, oh, my God, what's going on? I have cancer now at 18 years old. And yeah. then two days later or less than a week later, Twin Towers come down. So your whole world is spiraling at that point. You don't know what's going on. You showed resilience at a young age. And now you said you... That was the first 18 years of your life was the well, first 17 was probably pretty easy. 18 year, 18th year was pretty rough. And then you bounce back. Now you said almost 20 years later, now you're still spreading that positivity and resilience. So would you define that as your purpose now to spread that? Yeah, I, I, I saw my purpose kind of has a two sides to it. It's to define and motivate people and encourage them to be resilient but also to not only be resilient for themselves, but to be resilient for others, because the resiliency that the people around me show at the time was, was super, super powerful because they were doing so much so selflessly that I didn't even realize it, to be honest with you. And right. now looking back, uh, talking with those people is and the ones that I can talk with. For example, Tim, what he did for our family had never met us before. And I've had the, since had the chance to talk to his children who were just like two and three years old at the time. We now have a good relationship. And I have always told them, you know, I only knew your father. You knew your father longer than I did, actually. Um, but I knew something about him and about his generosity that was so powerful. So he was super resilient in that time for us. And he didn't have to be. So my, my encouragement to people is that to learn to be resilient in the struggles that you go through. And then once you've overcome them, there's someone else out there that needs to hear that story and that needs to have your energy and your motivation to overcome their own, their own thing, whether it's physical illness or it's, God forbid, another terrorist attack or just, you know, mental health these days is, is something that we need to work on as well. Definitely. And in like your story of 9-11, I'm, since I, I was, I was not even in the United States when 9-11 occurred, I was in on the border of Iraq when it occurred. So mm -hmm. I didn't believe it happened because I grew up right there in Jersey City, New Jersey. So I thought that man, there's no way this is really happening. This is, this is a lie. But you were right there. You had to you felt the impact. Like you said, a 15 minute ride turned into nine hours. It was I'm, incredible. I'm guessing you're like a Hofstra of something going back to Long Island. But yeah, yeah, exactly. So was, that's where I was. So and that's I, a, I mean, that's usually a pretty quick commute and then nine hours and run out of gas and realizing the whole world just changed right there. Yeah. And the funny thing is. I mean, I, funny may not be the right word, but I, so after I graduated from Hofstra, I went to the University of Miami, I have a master's degree in broadcast journalism. I worked in AM radio. I still to that, that's still the longest I've ever listened to AM radio straight ever in my life. And I will never listen to nine hours of AM radio again, even though I'm trained in that art. And 
and watching it all in the distance too. I mean, it was just an incredible experience seeing the towers and the smoke and the burning and being in the traffic. I mean, I know some people were right there, like literally right there. So I, I didn't have that experience, but, but listening and seeing it real time in the distance was, was pretty powerful. I think uh, what happened to you in your 18th year defined a lot of what your life is now. I mean, you had your upbringing from your mom and dad, they taught you your values, your strengths and stuff, your core values. But what happened to you there shaped you into what you are now. And I think it gave you this purpose and showed you uh, what caring is for other people. So why do you care so much about others? I've seen stress in people's lives really, really pull apart relationships. And so speaking of that, so my parents who loved me dearly, I mean, I'm, I'm an only child. I, I... You know, you could say I'm spoiled. I probably agree, but unfortunately, all of the love and support that my parents poured out for me actually resulted in them getting divorced not too long after I, towards the end of my, um, after I graduated. So, you know, I that plus my professional work in the financial world, looking at financial stress from people, I've seen it pull apart families and pull apart couples and marriages, and so it's kind of been my mission to support other people to lower their levels of stress from very from various reasons whether it's stressful illnesses stressful financial situations or just stressful things that that are more general like having kids uh moving changing jobs um death right i mean there's just a lot of things that happen in life that can stress us out and i i feel that we all go through things and there's a reason for that there's a reason why i overcame my cancer, right? It spread. It was testicular cancer, as you might imagine, if you kind of kind of deduce that from it, from them thinking it was a groin injury. And it spread to my lymph nodes. It was all in my abdomen. The doctor said, listen, I can't go in and just do surgery. We got to hit you with chemo. So a super aggressive form of cancer. He said it was very treatable, um, but it was very aggressive. So there's a reason why I went through all that, because now that message and that situation that I went through is something that I can use to teach and help other people. And I feel like I would not be a good steward of what I've been provided if I just kept it a secret, right? I, I just, I don't think that that's the case. So to answer your question and to kind of stick with that theme, I think it's very, very important that we use the things that we've overcome to help other people do the same. Definitely. That's a perfect answer and a perfect reason why you, you're purpose-driven at that point. And you went through this all at a young age and chemotherapy, I'm sure was at that time, it wasn't as advanced as it is now. I'm sure it's still horrible. It was probably horrible then too, but yeah. how did you deal with the chemotherapy? I don't know how, how often it goes on or how long, how many weeks you had to do it or months, years. Yeah. So I, I have it. So, so I, on, on the speaking of impact podcast, I have, a, I have an episode dedicated to this and I can, you know, you can put it out and link it to, so people can hear the story from multiple perspectives. Um, but so, so my cousin has cystic fibrosis. It's a respiratory lung disease. Uh, it affects the immune system, reproductive system. It's a very, very strange disorder. And they've, they've made amazing, amazing, uh, advances more recently to help CF, they call it CF patients. But when I was going through cancer, my cousin was in grade school. So I was a good, you know, 10 years or so older than him, but I had just moved up to New York. And we had not spent a lot of time with each other, but my mom 
ended up basically moving to New York while I was going through treatment because didn't, we didn't go home. We stayed in New York for, for cancer treatments. So you asked, how did I get through it? And I thought, as I alluded to earlier, that I was just me powering through and like I said, drinking at the right time and going to sleep and doing all these things. Like my doctor said, you got to study. I, the best, my, I probably got the best grades while I was going through chemo because my doctor said, you got to study hard ironically you you think we might put that on the back burner but he said no the brain is a powerful thing so that's a lesson to you out there if you're going through a tough time challenge yourself mentally it can be very very helpful so he uh so he told me to do that and i thought i was doing all these things right and i'm sure they helped don't get me wrong the diet the things were probably good for my health and i was a young kid i was already pretty healthy so i could handle the chemo but i had a very very tough i had 20 rounds of chemo but i would go for five straight days and by the end of the, like I had my first chemo treatment, Rich, and I came home. I was like, Hey guys, chemo, big deal. Still got my hair. I'm feeling great. You know, I was doing push-ups. Like I was, I felt like I was totally fine by the end of that week. And I had five straight days of it. Forget it. I mean, I was sick as a dog. I felt like, I mean, I felt horrible and I don't get sick very often. I don't get the flu. I don't remember, you know, being a sick child by any means. I, but all I remember is just feeling nauseous and terrible and had achy. It was, it was really rough, but I tell, I mentioned my cousin because if you listen to that podcast episode, he does an amazing job of explaining how our parents, who, my, my mom and, and his dad, you know, their siblings, how they kind of were in cahoots to have us kind of commiserate together. So I would go to sleep early because I was exhausted and my cousin would come wake me up at like five or six in the morning because he wanted to play video games with his co college age cousin because he thought I was cool, right? And so I used to be like, oh God, wake me up at the, you know, at the crack of dawn. I'm trying to sleep. I'm exhausted. I feel like crap. But my, but our parents actually encouraged that behavior. And we spent hours, I mean, video games were huge for us. We spent hours playing video games and feeling like crap together and throwing up and taking medicine and, you know, just sucking at, survival to be honest with you if it wasn't for our parents feeding us and taking care of us we probably would have we probably would have been really really bad but it was it was very very helpful so you asked how i got through it a lot of it was developing that relationship with my cousin uh because we had we we kind of had something in common different diseases for sure but we had something in common so that was very 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 helpful to have that support system and we're very very close to this day in fact i just officiated his wedding earlier in the summer so uh, last summer it's 2022 already um but it so that's a very very challenging thing and you know and that's the emotional side of it i mean i could tell you more about the physical things and the shots and i got all kinds of stories about that stuff too but the from a mental aspect it was very very important to have someone to kind of go through it with because i was i would go to the hospital or to the, my doctor's office and i was the only i mean i was 18 everyone else i I mean, at least it felt like they were all 85 years old. They were probably not all that old, but I was by far the youngest person. I had nothing in common with anyone there. In fact, they put me in a room by myself because I don't think they wanted me to see a bunch of old people who might not survive. So I had to have someone else. And it, it was probably great that they were actually younger than me. That was very, very helpful. I bet. And uh, I had a real good friend growing up who had CF in, uh, in New He had to go to the hospital in New York, actually, uh, downtown uh, in the village. And we used mm -hmm. to sneak him in beer so he'd gain weight because he needed to gain weight to actually be physically fit and to get enough yeah. physicality in order to fight the disease. And he, he lived until he was uh, 41, uh, 42, almost 42 years old. He wow. 
I got wounded in Afghanistan as I was coming out of recovery. I found out he died about the same time I got wounded. Oh, wow. It was pretty crazy. And in, in between that time, I met a friend in Alabama and we, his stepdaughter had CF and she still does. We started a race to raise money for cystic fibrosis. So I'm very aware of cystic fibrosis. We've oh, been wow. For over awesome. 10 years now. That I, I thank you, man. That means a lot to my family. My, my wife just ran in the New York city marathon to raise nice. money for it. So we all, it's a big part of our family for sure. I was actually at the finish line for the New York city marathon this year, oh. just by, just by chance. I was there. <laughs> you probably so you probably saw me. You didn't even know it. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Got in my way. It's a very uh, debilitating disease as well as yours was. And I think that pairing you two together, not only it built the bond between you, that's never going to break. And it also helped you both fight through it because both of those things, those challenges could lead to mental, mental breakdowns where you go into the darkness and don't come back out of it. And that, that's mm -hmm. where resilience comes in. I think, I think resilience is something that it, I kind of mentioned earlier, it's contagious. I think you, when you see other people being resilient, it, it's resiliency is a great habit, but it's not something that is taught with words or with less, you know, with uh, written lessons. It's something that's felt and seen and experienced. And when I saw my little cousin, the treatments that you, you know this, that you have to go through, especially 20 years ago, yeah. and probably even more than that for your, for your friend, the treatments that they had to go through are just brutal. I mean, it kind of made my chemotherapy seem like nothing, to be honest with you. And then I think I, your, your, your parents, uh, both of them, both sides actually had a great plan to get you guys together and, and bring that, that bond and that like to mis commiserate misery together and play mm -hmm. video games and do what you had to do to get through together. That way you both stay focused to, to move forward. And I think that's a great thing. Absolutely. So during this time, uh, who did, who did you look to as a, like a mentor during this time to get you through this? Or who do you look to now as a mentor as you move forward in life? Well, I mean, I, I kind of go back to my cousin from a physical standpoint at the, to, as a mentor, because just even though he's much younger, well, not much younger, he's about 10 years younger than me. It's just the way he pushed through and, and he still has a disease. Mine's gone. You know, I'm cured. Thank God. I've got other, hit, you know, small issues and some things that are probably a result of getting hit pretty hard with chemo. But I mean, from, from that aspect, it's, it, it's definitely him. Um, it, you know, in my life, you know, I, I mentioned my parents before, they've each taught me very, very important lessons that have guided me in my life. Uh, one of them, um, one of them is to treat people with respect. And I see my parents do that, both of them, specifically my dad, though, uh, he, he wasn't a, he wasn't, and he's still not a big wig manager, CEO type of anything. He worked in supermarkets for many years. In fact, my parents met in the supermarket. I don't know if you, if you remember Wallbaums back up in, up in New York. I don't know if they had him in Jersey, but that's where, that's where they met. And my dad kind of worked his way up. And then when they moved to Florida, same idea. And he, you know, he ended up kind of, he ended up managing some some grocery stores. So worked really hard. I mean, made a fine living, but wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a well-known leader by any means, but he always treated people with respect. And every single time to this day, the people that I still see that he used to be, that he used to work with, whether he was the, their employee or he was the boss or whoever, they always tell me that they should to thank my dad, that he was the best boss or best coworker that they ever had. 
because he always respected people no matter what it was, what was going on in their life. So as a mentor, that's been very, very powerful to me and all my, and I don't work in the supermarket, our careers and the way my dad and I think are way different. We're just, we're, we love, we both love the giants. We love New York sports, but about, that's about all we, that's all about all we have in common. But the one other thing is that respect. So my dad's definitely my mentor uh, from that perspective in life. And then my mom, you noticed the, you mentioned my book and I, you know, you see it up on the screen here. My mom worked in banks. Uh, she was a teller in a bank and a customer service representative. And she taught me um, the value of the dollar. And I, I still, to this day, she ended up working for me for the last four or five years of her career. Um, but in a way she was still the boss because she taught me of how important it is uh, to, to respect the tool, the powerful tool that money is. So I, I hate to keep it in the family, but it's it's my cousin and definitely my parents. That's usually where your best mentors come from is closer to the heart, closer to the, within the four walls you grew up in. And that's a, that's a great, uh, great uh, segue for your dad and your mom, both helped you and your cousin, of course, that we, uh, we've been with most of the talk here. Uh, I think having mentors in the family actually challenges you to be greater. Outside the family, you can kind of stray away. In the family, you're there and it's, you want to make them proud and show them that you can do the things like they did your dad with respect, your mom with finance. And you, now you have your book behind you. So if you want to segue into your book, talk to us about personal finance and uh, what it's about. Sure. Sure. Let me, let me quickly, if I may just double down on what you talked about, about mentorship in the family. I, I heard someone, well, it's probably about a month ago now talk about they were challenging parents and uh, leaders of the home to be better mentors for their children in the next generation. And I just, it struck me really strong. And, you know, because of my medical history, we haven't been able to have kids. I actually don't have any kids of my own. I, I do some volunteering and mentoring of, of high school uh, students, but I just wanted to double down on that. I, that's a really strong principle right there that we need to be better mentors in the home, I think. Because if you think about it, my wife's a kindergarten teacher. She always tells the parents that I have your kids for a couple hours, you know, for four or five hours a day, five days a week for six, seven months, but you have your kids for way longer than that. So I'm going to do my best, but their most lessons are going to come from you. So I just wanted to double down on that. Um, but the book, so I, I'm, I, I didn't expect to be writing a book around this time last year, but my business partner and I, left our firm that we worked at for many years, totally cordial, loved working for them, loved their mission in the financial space, helping with people with, with their planning. Um, but we wanted to kind of expand the services that we were offering. We just weren't allowed to do it in that model. We also weren't allowed to, it was very hard to uh, do media, whether it was video or print or any of those things, just for compliance and regulatory reasons, it's very hard to keep tack on thousands of representatives of an organization. Uh, so jumping through all the hoops to get some of those things done was very, very challenging. So suddenly, once we left the company and opened our own firm, <laughs> we had all this availability now to do podcasting and to do shows like this and to write a book. And I'll tell you a quick story about why a part of the reason how I came to writing the book. I once we decided that we were going to leave, I said, you know what, I'm just going to throw out some emails to some publishers. I have an idea for a book. I don't, I've never written one before. Let me just kind of see how you feel, what, what it would feel like for, for professional publishers. And they, two of them actually got back to me and I was like blown away. I was like, whoa, all right. So I actually, I might have something here. So I got a little bit more serious with one of them and they asked me, 
so Bob, you know, how far along are you with your manuscript? And I was like, I don't even know what a manuscript is, like no less have written one. So I, so I told him I haven't written anything. I just have some ideas in my head that I've been kind of pent up after 12 years of working with families and their money. And he said, all right, why don't you talk to this other gentleman, Eric, who runs a program for first time authors. So that was, he responded to my email on Thursday, connected me with Eric. Uh, Eric sent me a message on Friday, Monday morning, we had a zoom call just like this at 10 AM. And he told me all about the program. And after 15 minutes, he said, all right, we're starting at 12 o'clock. So I need to know in two hours, if you're going to join the program, <laughs> I was like, come on, Eric, there's no way that I, I mean, I, I just opened a new business. I got all this stuff going on and we hung up the phone and I sat there for like a couple of minutes. I said, you know what? I'm never going to do this. There's never going to be a good time unless I say yes. Now, if I would have had two days or two weeks, forget it. I would have said no, because his life would have got busy. So that was earlier last year, took those ideas, put them on paper. And the book is about how technology, social media, and the digital ad space these days affect how you make money decisions. And it's for people who want to use the, the tools of today to help them manage the age old tool of money. Wow. And where can it be found? Is it on Amazon, all digital formats and stuff? Yes, absolutely. So right now, speaking of not knowing how this all works, uh, my publisher, they're excellent. New Degree Press got to give them a shout out. They're awesome. They uh, were running a 99 cent ebook sale right now. So if you want to go to Amazon, you can get the Kindle version for 99 cents. It's still another week or so. It's on 99 cent sale. So uh, you can check it out there. You can search personal finance in a public world or my name, Bob DePasquale at Amazon. Uh, you'll see my podcast there, but you'll also see the book. You can pick it up for 99 cents. Uh, soft cover is also available. If you, if you want a hard copy to read it, you can pick it up as well. And uh, um, the Audible and the hard cover are coming out next month. But yeah, it's, it's rolling. We were the number one, believe it or not. I was blown away by this. I was, no joke, no exaggeration, the number one new release in wealth management uh, when it first came out. So that was an awesome accomplishment. It, it was a lot of work to write it, but it was totally worth it. That's outstanding, especially for your first book, come out, come out, number one new release, wealth management. That's a, it's a pretty uh, competitive niche, I believe, because every bookstore has many books on personal financing or, or yep. finance in general. And to come out number one, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I was proud of it. And, you know, they told me you got to brag about this, Bob, you got to shout it from the rooftops. That's not necessarily my personality based on my experience in life. As I told you before, it's not all me. So I definitely got to give credit to the team. But I, I would be lying if I didn't say that we, we did it. We did it well. We did it really well. I, I when I made that decision, when, when I talked with that guy, Eric, and I hung up the phone, I said to myself, I'm not going to do this halfway. If I'm going to do this, we're going to write it. We're going to write a good book, even though it's my first one. And we committed to it. I spoke with over 50 professionals in the psychology, digital and finance space. And I pulled together ideas in all those three areas and put together the book. So it was a lot of work, but it was great. Outstanding. And uh, basically a life's work in one year. That's good stuff to get it out there and to try to help people even with the book. Even if you help one person, that's a success, I believe. And that gets, gets them on the right path to being a better, living a better life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I heard once the, the way you said it was great, man. If it helps one person, it's totally worth it. One of my favorite sayings is someone told me once, you may not change the world, but you might change the world for one person. And if the book does that, I, I, I would feel tremendously honored. That's awesome, Bob. 
how does someone get in contact with you to say get on their show or to even just chat with you? Yeah, I would. I love. I'm. I'm learning that direct messaging and social media is the new thing, man. So you can hit me up at bdepod, b d e p a, on Twitter or Instagram. Those are the best places to give me a holler. I'm. I'm on LinkedIn too, but uh, check out my website, bodypasquale.com. You can get a hold of me, and I. I, I would be more than happy uh, to have a conversation. I, I love talking with people. Love hearing your story. Um, if you got questions about the book, be more than happy to answer them. So awesome. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for taking some of your time to be on the show today. And I look forward to more greatness from you moving forward. Awesome, Rich, man. Take care, brother. You too.